electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the $3 trillion stock, Apple, approaching that incredible milestone. What its surge means to the overall market and your money. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Bryn Talkington, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown. Let's begin with the markets, taking a bit of a breather after three straight days of gains. There you go. Dow right now down 38. NASDAQ, a lot of focus there of late, down 121. That's three quarters of 1%. I always give you the 10-year note yield. That's at 148 today. We're going to get to all of that in a moment. We'll get to the committee's new moves, Apple's record run. First, though, my man Jim Cramer is here. Why? Because his big investing club event is less than 30 minutes away. Here we go. I am honored that you have me on. Yes, the club is everything to me. I've been doing it for many, many years. It's now all here. Uh, And I will tell you this. The market goes down always when I do my meetings. And that's very simple. It's because it's live and I have to explain how wrong I've been on something (laughs) I just bought. Fortunately, I haven't bought anything today, so I'm okay. So you're going to give your outlook for 22. You're going to take questions from people, which is a real highlight. That's going to be fun. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. We don't do enough of it. I was downtown this morning. I was interviewing the old New Southwest CEOs. Oh, yeah, and there were people who were saying, Listen, hey, Jim, what do you think of this? Now, I actually like that. I like it. Other than at a football game, you've been, me there, been there. But I love it when people do that. And, if I, and I always ask them, what, what's your thesis? Why do you ask? Today, real people asking those questions to me. Me being able to have what I like most, which is to help people make money. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? You, you are either in this game, in, you know, because like you want to show your mug on TV or something, or you want to help people. <laughs> you and I are in the business of helping people. It's such an interesting time in the market, too. I mean, I, I can't imagine what today's <laughs> event would be like a week ago. No, <laughs> right. No. I, mean, I mean, the market has taken such an interesting turn. I can't only imagine what the questions are going to be. Well, I could say uh, that I saw it all coming. And it was a natural. But you know what? That's not the way we work. Instead, I say, ah, how did I think that wind would be done with the Omicron? How do I feel that uh, Ford Motor still stalled here at 20? We have Jim Farley. Uh, I think that Jim's going to lay the gauntlet down. I think Jim's tired of hearing, do you know that Rivian is now bigger than Ford? <laughs> do you know that, that Tesla's 17 times bigger? No! Farley's a fighter. Judge, he's not going to just say, yeah, you know, I, I guess well, we were once a great company. And, uh. that's, why no. you, that's why you like him so much. We're less than yes. 30 minutes away from the big event. Just to let people know, sure. it's not too late. No. There's the QR code on your screen. You can do that or you can go to CNBC.com forward slash investing club forward slash live. Make sure you get all of that. Let me ask you about a couple things sure, quickly judge. before I let you go, because I know you got to get ready for this. That's uh, we're going to kick things off today with Apple. What a juggernaut. Well, I mean, okay. Three trillion dollars. We're not Let, that far away. Let's go back 10 days. What did we learn? That there was too much supply, okay, and not enough demand. 
because Apple was calling companies and saying, you know what? Sales aren't that good. Yeah. Okay. Um, What's the stock yeah. done since that report, <laughs> right, by the so way? Now we had yesterday Apple calling suppliers saying, look, Things are really too good. Do you have any supply? No, these don't happen. None of these calls happen, okay? Particularly the first call. Apple has never made a following call to a supplier saying, oh, man, business is bad. I don't know what to do. But Skyworks is up big, and Skyworks is premier supplier. And I was waiting for that one because that's like the last shoe. Now, please, you you come in here, and you know I I like Apple, and I want to say own it, don't trade it. But understand, Apple could be down 3 bucks in a heart. And it just could be down because the Nasdaq feels ugly today. The good thing, though, about if you're an investor in Apple, just as quickly as it can be down three bucks, it's proved so resilient that the minute you want to suggest, okay, well, maybe it's going to have a bit of consolidation, stock goes right back. Right. Well, we want to defer to our betters. When I saw that Katie Ubery over at Morgan Stanley, she took a $200 price target. Well, that's that's the kind of thing that says, I'm right. Get on board or else. Now, we do have a couple of analysts who remain, I'd say, diffident if not negative on Apple. Goldman, right? Yeah. So when Goldman gets really positive, uh, well, you know <laughs> The what? greatest I, contrarian yeah, indicator. That, is that's going to be a problem because uh, that means you're already in the uh, home field advantage part of the playoffs and don't get greedy. Tony Sachs, uh, you know. Tony Sachs is... <laughs> Look, you I'm know what? Let... My Nana Mary always said, if you don't have anything good to say, why bother? I'm going to let now, you he's run. Incredibly smart. And I got to tell you, when I look at what you guys have been doing, I saw your double duty work yesterday. The club, the club's had a lot of people who've been really right. You've had some people who've been really, really right and who did not take the Omicron bait and look, said there's some good things. Here. Not those were not easy days. And, you know, we're not necessarily fully out of the woods, but no, the no. But is what so happened different. is I listened to all these people. I listen to your people because, you know, I like them. Some of them I've known since since uh, I was really cool looking, but not as cool as someone else that you're interviewing. And I, I, the Kyrie Firestone, uh, Kyrie Bromberg Firestone. But I will tell you this. When push came to shove, no one panicked in your team. And I, I, I as having off that day, that Friday, you need someone who just says, okay, you know what? This is an interesting moment. You know, you know who did that? And right before I let you go is, is Josh Brown last week, I think in the, in the heart of the sell-off, that, he tweeted, buy him. Yeah. And he talked about it on the show. Jo- no, Josh I didn't want to just single him out. No, it's Josh I'll has do been it. amazing. And, you know, what Josh does, you know, he's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen Josh at my bar. I've got guys like, well, he's not that. He's like, he's like give me a, a Modelo. I mean, I like it here, you know. So, you know, could you, a bit extra salt in that margarita? It's pretty good here. I love That's the way he is. He's always been that way. That's why he is such a lovable guy. He is. But, Josh, you weren't afraid to jump into the fray when it felt pretty ugly. I'm blushing. No, of course not. I'm I'm 44 years old. I'm going to live to see Dow 100,000. I know that sounds outrageous, but that's compounding at 7% a year until I'm in my 70s. So most of the people that I'm talking to on a daily basis uh, are thinking that way. And all of us are looking for opportunities to buy low, not looking for opportunities to pay all-time highs. By the way, to people my generation, and this is no offense to anyone older, uh, we should not be rooting for all-time highs. It doesn't help us. All we're doing is taking the boomers out of their stocks <laughs> at the best price possible. You don't want to take the boomers out of their house at an all-time high price. Why do you want to take them out of, out of their stocks? You are a forced buyer, if you're my generation. Forced buyer of stocks in your retirement account for the next 30 years. Why do you want record highs? So when we see volatility, I'm tweeting, buy them. That's just the way I am. By the way, it actually works. So 
take, you know, take that for what it's worth. What you can have, I say? Have a great event. Yeah, thank you. you got to get ready. Thank you for all your support. The whole time I've been doing this stuff, you have always supported me. And so is your team. Thank you, buddy. I love you. Well, you as well. Okay. And we're excited about what's happening bottom of the hour. There it is. CNBC.com forward slash investing club forward slash live. You can do the QR code. Make it easy on yourself. It'll take you right there. You don't have to remember the, uh, the website I just told you to go to. But there it is on the screen anyway. You have a good one. Thank you. Okay, my man? Yep. All right. So let's kick off the conversation, Jim Labenthal, about Apple, which I really wanted to get to. And I go to you first because you have upped your own price target all along the way, right? You said the stock's getting yep. to 180 by the end of the year. And then you said, no, no, it's going to 200 by the end of the year. So here we are. I mean, we're not at 200 and we're not at 180, but we're getting closer. Yeah, I, you know, 200 by year end, that seems a little, that maybe I'm reaching too far on that. I, I like the price where it is right here. Scott, you'll remember that I was buying this, adding a trading position. And yes, I heard what Jimmy said about not trading it. So let me explain this one more time. I've got a core position I will hold for years. I have held for years. That core position has been fabulous. But when the stock was at 125 in February and March, there was an opportunity to add to it. I did that. Now, Scott, here's the punchline. I am looking for the exit on that trading position, but here's the thing not going to do it this year i've got three weeks until the end of the year now i am just one investor i manage assets for taxable investors i'm not going to hit them with a capital gain in the last three weeks of the year and i'm telling you this because i'm indicative of a segment of the market that simply will not sell apple in the next three weeks and that is going to keep the stock high and marching higher by the way, there's also fundamental reasons. I heard what Jimmy said about the supply and demand, but also let's face it that the uh, the stay of execution, if you will, on the Epic ruling, uh, which came out, I believe that came out yesterday, is a huge fundamental as far as shoring up the defenses of the services business. So the stock's high, 200's a bit of a reach. I'm gonna back off of that, but um, you know, I'm gonna get into January and I will trim it then. Yeah, I'm curious in part as to why you're even thinking about looking for the exit at, at some point and why not just take advantage of a, a good position you got yourself in even if it's just a trading position why are you already looking Listen, for the exit man because it's a great question because you know what there, do you, you hear the breathlessness in how i'm speaking about it and there are others out there <laughs> who are speaking breathlessly positively about it that's the exact opposite of what's what was going on in february the stock was down seven and a half percent the s p was up two and a half percent and people were hating on apple You've got to be aware of when investor sentiment gets a little too frothy in either direction. Now, I'm not selling it today. I'm not. I but I am looking for the exit just on those trading positions. I'll keep the core position. Uh, it's a little frothy. And also, the multiple, I don't see that expanding in 2022. I like the multiple where it is, but I only think you're going to get a return that's commensurate with earnings per share growth. And that means there's going to be other opportunities out there. So that's why I okay. will look for him in January. Now, I'll be the first to admit. I don't remember every single move that every single committee member makes, nor do I remember every time they talk about a specific stock. However, I've got a pretty good memory about what you guys do. And I seem to recall Bryn Talkington. There was a point, maybe it was six months ago, and maybe it was eight, and maybe it was somewhere in between those two points, where I recall that you were trimming Apple. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, no, you were right. I think it was like a year and a half ago. Okay, a year and a half. Well, but, it seems I, like six months ago. Yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting with Apple is forever, and I think that, you know, outside of people shorting, trying to short the Japanese yen, analysts that have been negative on Apple has been the other widowmaker trade. It just hasn't worked. And I think that if I want to go back a year and a half ago and think about why did I trim, trim Apple, I think the one thing is that 
if you look at their revenue and earnings growth prior to this year, really most of their growth has, had been from stock buybacks. And so I think that was the narrative from the analyst community of why Apple shouldn't be at the, at the multiple that it is. But I just think you have to respect the market. And I think what's happening right now is that there's so many hedge funds and algorithms, and I'm sure individual investors, that have been selling those high growth names as they're worried about inflation and interest rates. And I think that people are moving into Apple because there's so much certainty around cash flows. I mean, it's such a comfortable stock. Everybody owns it. Everyone has an iPhone. And so I think you also have some repositioning out of those high growth names. People want to stay invested. And Apple's been a lot of the recipients of those high growth dollars that have come out of those names. No, but Carrie, I just heard, since Jim Cramer mentioned you, let's mention Jim Cramer once again, because I just heard two people violate Jim Cramer's number one rule of investing in Apple, and that is don't trade Apple. Invest in Apple. Don't play around. Don't mess around. Don't try to get out at the top or buy at the bottom. You own Apple. What do you think? Yeah. Well, we all own Apple. And remember, Apple is six and a half percent of the market. And when we talk about Apple, it represents the biggest commitment that people make to the stock market. And as others have said, I mean, Bryn just said it, people take money out of other names and buy Apple. Now, if you look at what's happened in the last month, less than a month, Apple's up 19 percent. And what's gone on in the market during that period of time is there have been huge sell-offs within technology. Apple's own sector, which has been moving up, but a lot of high-tech names have had really volatile swings. Some of it's tax loss selling, but that money has gone to safety. It's been defensive, staying within the sector. And Apple represents an incredibly strong, well-known, safe, and growing company. No one's suggesting that people bought it because they just discovered Apple. They, they know it. And we believe that there's always going to be this commitment to Apple by investors to keep their money there while they're waiting for something else, which is a good reason not to get out of it. But I think that Jim is right. You can trade around it. If you have a 6%, 7% position, you can trade it down if you feel comfortable with other ideas that make more sense and have more upside and then buy it back when Apple falls to within the very attractive range. And it has done that many times over the last five years. So I think it's great to own it. It's a receptacle for cash, but it's all right to trade around it sometimes. It's oh. not like, you know, verboten, you can't. Okay. Um, you use the word safe and growing when you talked about Apple. That makes me think about uh, another group of stocks, those high flyers, the so-called Kathy Wood names, where, where if you say safe and growing, I think about growing but wobbly because th those stocks have really pulled back. Now, Kathy Wood was on Squawk Box this morning defending her turf. I want you to listen. Most uh, investors... And I know the most seasoned investors out there, some of them are saying that our stocks have been in a in bubble like territory. We couldn't disagree more because we are seeing five major innovation platforms involving 14 technologies, all moving into exponential growth trajectories simultaneously. OK, Josh Brown, that brings me to you. Kathy Wood says no bubble in um, in Arkland. I look at stocks that are from the innovation fund. This is the percentage 
that they are off of their fifth or all time off their 52 week highs off their 52 week highs. Robinhood is 73 percent off its 52 week high. Teladoc is 68. CRISPR is 65. Zoom is 57. DraftKings is 56. DocuSign is 51 and on and on and on and on. I mean, how could there not have been a bubble in those names? Well, I, I mean, the, the, it's a loaded term, the term bubble, but I think if you mm. just consider the hey, fact that... Hey, you can that, use effervescent. Uh, I mean, somebody used that on Closing Bell with us yesterday, which I thought <laughs> no. was really interesting. We there was all this effervescence. All right, all right. Listen, I don't own any of those stocks, but we, we, all, we all understand, we all understand that... Hey, you own Coinbase, um, that's 36% off. Traditional, I own, I own Coinbase. Um, we all understand that using traditional price earnings or book, book value to, to market cap or enterprise value to, you know, EBITDA. Like if you, if you take those traditional metrics that um, we value corporations at, none of these stocks are, are buyable, right? And, but they never have been. Um, and so she's looking at things on a five-year time horizon and what she's basically trying to do is own companies that have network effects and a platform where they're spending money today to make much, much more tomorrow once they've established themselves. One of the, one of the things, look, this is the type of situation where I would normally buy the dip. It is the most despised corner of the market right now after having been the most loved corner of the market a year ago. Um, one of, the, one of the, the toughest parts about saying, you know what, I think things are too negative, I'm going to get long uh, arc, is that she has a tendency to buy headline stocks. Like, if you look at what all of these companies have in common that you just reeled off, what they all have in common is consumers are talking about them, Reddit boards are talking about them, traders on Twitter are talking about them, and they're controversial. They're in the headlines like every single day. Um, that's, that's the part of it that makes it very different from what somebody that's trying to invest in growth in a quantitative way, let's say. Like, why else would DraftKings be in the, be in the same portfolio as Tesla? They have nothing to do with each other other than traders love talking about these stocks. So uh, I think that keeps a lot of people from saying, I'm going to pull the trigger by the dip uh, on ARK. But I don't think people are going to just not want to buy growth ever again. They just might not want to buy it in this way. So she's got a hurdle rate that she's aiming for uh, in terms of like how much these companies can grow and how much opportunity there may be in the stock. But she's not doing this on a quarterly basis. And I think if you're allocating based on that assumption that, that she's trying to track the S&P over a 90-day period, you're going to be disappointed. Um, I think she's thinking longer term and, and thinking bigger. But I'm, I'm reminded, uh, so, though, I'm reminded that, though, that yesterday... You said buy the Arc G, the genomics fund, didn't you? No, no. I was talking about another sector of the market that's been hammered, and Arc G happens to have one of the more popular ETFs in that space. Now, every time I mention a ticker, I'm not telling people to buy it, Judge. I don't own it myself. IDNA is the BlackRock, ver the iShares version. Arc G is the Arc version. Um, XBI is the more popular way to buy the index version. But we were talking about the mm -hmm. underperformance in biotech this year, which I, I thought was, was notable. Um, but look, if you think about this year, one of the biggest themes this year was the reopen. 
and cyclical stocks, financial stocks, energy stocks had their day in the sun. That money had to come from somewhere. It came from these high multiple darlings of 2020. We see this play out every year. What was, what was trash last year was treasure this year and vice versa. And next year it could be another reversal. So it would be very, very premature to completely write off some of the fastest growing companies in America well, just because their stock prices had to take a time out this year. Kramer suggested this morning that it could take a long time for some of these stocks to come all the way back. Can I show and you something? So, and some can may I, can never. I show you something? And some can, may never. Can I show you? Right. Can I show you something? Quick. Can we pull up a chart? Can we pull up a chart of Siena? C-I-E-N. I wish Kramer was here. Um, we'll pull, we're pulling it. We're, 20 we're years pulling ago, it up. Talk about it. We're pulling it up. Okay. 20 years ago, this was the hottest stock on the planet. Just after Cisco, like Siena was it. It was optical fiber and, and networking and switches and routers and the build out of the internet. And this stock got up to like $600 a share uh, on a split adjusted basis. Look at it today. Explosive move. One of the top performers in the market, up 15%. Uh, this company has been humbled for two decades and is now coming out of uh, that, that trap that you're talking about, Judge, where the expectations are just so big that even if the company is okay, the stockholders are going to suffer for a long time. On a 20-year hey basis, Sienna, Sienna is still trying to make a comeback from those lofty Josh. levels. You're making a great point, and I want to add, you know this, because I want to add to this. During that time frame, the investor base changed over, okay? So the folks who today oh, yes. or last year have been in, in, in the ARC, and I know you know this, the folks who have been in the ARC Innovation companies are not going to be the folks that are in the ARC Innovation companies two, five, and ten years from now. And really? I'm not making fun of really? anyone here. It's going to be value you, are you, why are you speaking? You, why don't Sienna you speak directly to Bryn? Why don't you speak directly to Bryn? Because Bryn is in the ARC Innovation companies. True. She's in the ARC Innovation Companies. And, and something tells me she's probably still going to be there in two years or five years. Bryn, talk some sense to the farmer. Talk to some sense to the farmer. No, no, no. There's, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 there's no, 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 there's no. no nonsense. No, no, no. I want to hear from Bryn now. I want to hear from Bryn now. You said that people who are in the ARC Innovation stocks today are not going to be in there two and five years from now. And I, wanna, I will I stand hear from, by that. Oh, well, well, that's why I want to hear from Bryn Talkington. I don't that care what you're standing so, by. Yeah. I don't care so, what you're standing yeah. by. I want to hear from mm -hmm. Bryn. She's actually in it. So, so I would say that um, we'll, we'll, we'll hear what Jim says when he, when he finishes, so I'll, I'll wait on that. But I think that when you look at the investor base today um, versus the baby boomers have all the money, okay? But the largest demographic today are the millennials, and they are just starting to get money, and they're going to inherit all that money. And I see how they're investing. And so I'm definitely not a millennial. And, you know, we have an allocation to ARKK. And as I've said before, we wanted to have exposure to public market companies that can have VC type returns. But you have to be public because these companies need money. And I think that Kathy gets painted such a unfair broad brush because everyone talks about what she owns. Like DraftKings is like a 2% position in ARKK. Maybe DraftKings does terrible, maybe it doesn't, but she sizes it right. Tesla is an 8.5% position. I remember when Kathy in 2018 sent an, did an open letter to Elon Musk when he was threatening to take Tesla private. And she walked through all of these reasons why they needed to be a public company. And like, who does that? She's had so much research. She knows these companies inside and out. 
And I think what's important is investors only focus on the few names, the, the 50 names that are in ARKK that she owns. But you know what? She doesn't own Peloton. She doesn't own Moderna. There's a bunch of names that she does not think actually are going to be the disruptors over the next 10 years. So for my, for, for my two cents, she's one of our only active managers. We are huge fans of factor-based and passive ETFs. But in this space, I think it's incredibly hard to discern how to value still Tesla, right? I don't know how you value that three years ago, but she did a great job. And so I think you want to have exposure there. But I, I agree with Josh that this can be a while. And so I think as investors, you own it, that we own it. We're going to stick with it. And once we think probably after the first quarter, when the inflation narrative settles down, when the interest rate spasms settle down, that's going to form a good base to actually come back into these companies. Because I'll tell you this, Scott, if, if, the, if the Fed funds is at 75 basis points and the 10 years at 175, I want to no one's going to tell me these types of companies won't do well. That's such a low yield. In the late 90s, Fed funds was at 6%. So, so I'll turn it back to you and Jim, but I, I do think that she does get painted a very fair, unfair brush in terms of what companies she invests in. Okay, take that, Farmer Jim. Take that, Farmer yeah, Jim. Jim. She doesn't need to turn it back listen, to me. She needs to turn it back to you. Not, You're the no, one who listen, has, you, you this, need to answer. This, this is a point that is made in history, and everybody who's an investor knows this. These stocks, when they go through the desert, for years, which is likely to happen in the same way that Cisco has still been in the desert 20 years after it made the cover of Barron's, in the same way that Microsoft was in the desert all through the aughts, in the same way that Qualcomm was in the desert. When these stocks go through the desert for years and years, their fan base changes. And that's likely to happen with these stocks. People who are buying them today, and I'm not taking a shot at Brin, but people who are buying them today are thinking you're going to get the growth rates that you saw in the last two years. That's highly unlikely. And when that disappointment sets in, you're going to find new investors, i.e. value and growth at a reasonable price. And that's going to take years, years, plural. Why do you why do you have to see um, such unbelievable growth in these names, the likes of which you, you, you've had over the last few years to make these stocks investable and to get legitimate I didn't returns. say they're not investable. No, but you pay, that's, you a pay, good, you, that's a good question. No, 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 no. But you're painting the picture that, it's oh, the, well, there's no, way these stocks, there's no way these stocks could possibly could grow the way they've been. So why touch them at all? You are, you are saying that you are you, saying that. Why would you buy them to, today? That's what you're saying. Why would you buy listen. them? They're not going to have the kind of growth they have had. So forget about it. Right, Judge, can I answer the question? Go ahead. Okay. This is a question of volatility versus return. All right. These are highly volatile stocks. You put up those drawdowns earlier and we saw mega numbers. Okay. For that sort of volatility, there has to be a return that's commensurate with it. And what I'm saying right now is the return going forward is not going to be enough to justify the volatility that these stocks right now have. And savvy investors are going to sniff that out. And they're going to say, I have two choices. I can either go for higher returning stocks or I can go for lower volatility. But the combination of these names, their high volatility and their low potential return going forward is not a good investment mix, period. Bryn, hey, you, Scott. you go ahead, yeah. Bryn, get, to get the last word because then I'm going to take a yeah. quick break. Yeah, I, I do think I've been in the business since 1994. So I've seen all the cycles that, that everyone on this show has. And I think that why we want to have an allocation there is when, when Google IPO'd, Cisco, for example, in the late 90s, I don't have the ability 
to understand the winners over the next 20 years. And there's going to be some Cisco's in here, but I think there's also going to be some Google's and some Netflix. And so that's why you want to own the strategy going forward. And I think it's, 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 it'll be a, time, a timeless strategy you don't, that you don't have to necessarily time. I love the conversation. I certainly love the debate. Thank you, guys. We'll take a quick break. Up next, the investment committee making a lot of moves in their portfolios. We'll document those coming up. Plus, I told you at the top, Jim Cramer, CNBC Investing Club Live. It is, wow, it's just about two minutes away. You have time to get in. Scan the QR code. Go to CNBC.com slash investing club slash live. You can ask questions to Jim. He's going to give his outlook for 2022. So much more. What better time to do it than right now, the way the markets have been. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The FDA has approved emergency use of Pfizer's COVID booster shots for 16- and 17-year-olds. The CDC must also give its approval before boosters can be administered. A decision is expected soon. Oklahoma has executed a man for the 1985 shooting death of a schoolteacher. Courts rejected Bigler-Stalford's claims that the state's lethal injection method would result in unconstitutional pain and suffering. Amtrak says that it will have to reduce service next month due to the COVID vaccine mandate for its workers. Amtrak expects 96% of its employees will have gotten at least one shot ahead of a January 4th deadline, but that will not be enough to avoid temporary cuts in train service. And New York Attorney General Letitia James dropping her campaign to become the next governor of New York. James says that a number of important investigations and cases are underway, and she wants to continue her work on that. Those investigations include a fraud probe into former President Trump's company. And on the news tonight, Travis Scott speaking out in his first interview since the World tragedy. Hear what he said tonight on the news at 7 Eastern. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Well, thank you very much, Rahel Solomon. All right, the investment committee making a lot of moves. Let's document some of them. Carrie Firestone, you first new position, Autodesk. Why? Yeah, well, Autodesk is down about 20% from its peak. Uh, It's the leader in software for design and engineering. 
They're adding new verticals such as construction, moving toward a subscription model across their base. And, you know, this is a solid growth company, 15 percent long term revenue and 20 percent long term earnings growth. And, you know, it's just been hit with a number of names. We think this is the time to step up and buy it. We've watched it for a long time. It was more expensive than we wanted to pay. So this was an opportunity. And that's what we're supposed to do. Buy low. And that's what we're doing with it. Looking at it, some small cap stocks in which you've been adding to, and one certainly we don't talk about yeah. on this program very often. Um, let's let's go through a few of them. FTV, Fortive Corp. You're buying more of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Fortive is a strong company in instrumentation and and precision um, uh, electronics and measurement for healthcare, for industrials, and even for technology companies. Uh, again, stocks underperformed. We started a position last year, and, and we've been adding to it. So, yeah, we think it's attractive. I'm looking at health equity, which is down nearly 5% yeah. today, and it's had a miserable yeah. mm -hmm. few months. It's down, what, just let's call it 37% over the last few months. Yeah, so Health Equity is a health savings account platform company. And as people go back to work, that's more employees that can start health savings accounts. COVID was very, very bad for their business. They also have a commuter business. So they have a platform in which you can put money aside tax-free for commuting. And of course, people aren't back at work to the extent that were expected. And so the stock has really suffered for that, although its core business is really picking up and we think will continue to grow. So, again, we think it's uh, very attractively priced here. Integer Holdings Corp, ITGR, another one that's down about 12 yeah. percent plus over a few months. Yeah. Sure. So Integer is a medical device company. They provide uh, outsourcing for the larger, like Abbott, J&J, &J, um, companies that are, that are in the medical device business. Because of COVID, of course, their business was way off as people were not doing elective surgeries in hospitals. And the, the stock was moving toward 100, and then it came back down as soon as we had the Omicron variant announced. And, you know, this is going to recede, and the stock will continue to grow once things stabilize. Okay. Bryn, you bought more XLE and the XOP. Yeah, another another buy low like Carrie. You know, the day after Thanksgiving, when the news about Omicron came out, energy just had a shellacking, and so I took that opportunity to add to both both positions, XLE and XOP. I think people need to understand that supply is going to remain tight. I listen to a lot of these CEO calls, these energy calls, and the common theme is capital discipline, capital discipline, and capital discipline. And I think that the $80 oil could be the new 60 and that energy is going to remain elevated. I think that, you know, going into the next few years, there's a secular tailwind within energy. I know it's a hated asset class, but it's a needed asset class. It's a needed fossil fuel. And so I want to take advantage once again when it sells off to add to those positions, which I think will do very well over the next few years. All right. Our big event with Jim Cramer has begun. I'm going to show you a live shot of Jim. There he is. He's speaking with investors today, his club members. It's the special event called CNBC Investing Club. Jim's giving his game plan for 2022. As I said, he's taking questions as well. We're kicking off the Investment Club monthly live event series. It's a one-hour interactive digital special. 
Jim and his investing team will review the current charitable trust positions. He's going to answer your most pressing questions. As I said, he's going to look ahead to the new year. He's going to be joined by a virtual audience of investing club subscribers, of which you can become one. There's your QR code. Scan that. Go to the website. As I said before, CNBC.com Investing Club Live. And you can get in on that, which is happening right now. Up next, trading has expanded beyond the usual trading day. But are you ready for 24-hour trading? As we head to break, check out the S&P sectors today. Led by healthcare. stocks are taking a bit of a breather after a three-day win. We're back after this. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Are you ready for 24-hour trading? A new company, 24 Exchange, has been launched and is now in negotiations with the SEC to open a stock exchange that would be open around the clock in 2022. Hedge fund titan Steve Cohen is an investor. How would an exchange like this work? Let's talk to the CEO of 24 Exchange, Dmitry Galinov. Dmitry, uh, good to see you. You've already submitted uh, a preliminary application for this 24-hour exchange to the SEC. They've responded with comments, and I hear you are on the verge of resubmitting that application. What are the prospects the SEC might approve this in 2022? Uh, good afternoon, Bob. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Um, I think the prospects are pretty bright for us uh, to get it approved in uh, 2022. Uh, once we submit a draft application, we uh, had a few discussions and we feel pretty confident that uh, we will address, you know, any comments that would come up. And uh, uh, we're hoping to receive a, a license and start operating next year, providing services for American and global clients. You know, I've known you a long time, Dimitri. I knew you when you were at Credit Suisse. Uh, and there's been talk about having a 24-hour exchange around for 20 years now, and it's gone nowhere. Uh, is there any evidence, is there any new evidence that there is sufficient demand to have 24-hour trading? Yes, absolutely. There is a huge amount of evidence. And I think uh, what's been driven is the cryptocurrency markets. Cryptocurrency markets, they operate uh, 24-7, 365 the retail traders with the cryptocurrency markets got used to trade over the weekends, uh, on the evenings. And this is where it's convenient for them because most of us, you know, they work during the day. Um, and uh, they now demand the same, the same service for stocks. Uh, look, you know, if you on the weekend, you talk to your family, you read some news about Tesla, about Apple or about Bitcoin, you know, you want to buy or sell ETF or the actual stock. 
you want exchange to be open and available so you make your transactions right away, not wait till Monday morning. All right, we're going to do a deeper dive into the mechanics of how 24-hour trading might work, including trading ETFs on ETF Edge at 2 p.m. Eastern time today. Dimitri will be joined by Dave Nautic, the CIO and Director of Research of ETF Trends. Is there really demand here? We'll get into that. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime, back right after this. Welcome back. A Brazilian fintech company backed by Berkshire Hathaway set to make its public debut today. Our Kate Rooney is tracking it. Hey, Kate. Hey, Scott. Yeah, we're still waiting on the first trade for Nubank. This is the world's most valuable digital bank. The Brazilian startup's IPO is seen as a milestone for Latin American tech companies. I'm told a lot of entrepreneurs have really looked up to Nubank and its CEO, David Velez, as an example of how to build a high-growth tech company there and attract high-profile investors. Nubank's pre-IPO backers include Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, Sequoia, Tiger Global's on that list, and Peter Thiel's Founders Fund. And they're not the only private investors rushing into Latin America, especially in fintech and e-commerce. Year to date, that region has brought in just under $15 billion in VC funding. That's up threefold from a year ago, according to CB Insights. Countries like Brazil and Colombia have a young, mobile native population with some of the highest internet engagement rates in the world. And a lot of people moved online everywhere during the pandemic, boosting user growth for the startups there. And when it comes to New Bank, though, it might also be a challenging landscape to go public. If you look at some of the high-growth Public comparisons for Nubank. D-Local, that was a hot fintech IPO this year. Negative year to date. Mercado Libre, Stone as well. Those stocks have taken a hit lately. It's also been a tough couple of months for the flagship U.S. fintechs. You've got Square and PayPal. After being some of the biggest 2020 winners, also negative for the year as investors rotate away from growth. Take a look at SoFi, though. That stock outperforming after its SPAC merger. It's up about 30 percent year to date. Scott. Appreciate that. Kate Rooney, thank you very much. Josh Brown, what do you know about this one? So this is this is one of those uh, this is one of those fintech apps that I think is poised to become what they call a super app. Um, I don't think that the average consumer, whether it's in Brazil, Colombia or the United States or really anywhere in the world, is looking to have an entire page on their iPhone uh, filled with with different financial apps. So all of these uh, fintech companies are going to have to get very good at incorporating everything from insurance to lending to uh, credit card uh, to payments, etc. So this is one of those companies that got a jump on that concept. They've been very good at bringing in new users, 40-some-odd million users. And by the way, this is not even Berkshire's first investment in Latin American fintech. I heard Stoneco uh, mention STNE. That's another one. Had a tough year. But this one's exciting. I'm very interested in learning more about it, following it closely. I'm definitely keeping it on my screen. I figured you probably were. All right. Biotech has underperformed this year. Earlier this week, the man you just heard from, Josh Brown, told you to look at that sector for growth in the new year. Now a bunch of bullish calls on those stocks. They're doing just that. We'll debate them next. Call of the daytime. Wells Fargo making a bullish call on five big pharma stocks today. They initiate coverage on AbbVie, 
Vertex, Pfizer, Merck, Regeneron, AbbVie, Pharma Gym is on your ownership list. They overweight it. They give a price target of $165. Talk to me. Yeah, this listen, so this space in general has labored under the threat of what drug col- drug control provisions will come out of Build Back Better. That's a head fake. That bill will be whatever it will be. We'll get it in a month or two. And then the space in general is going to be undervalued going forward. And AbbVie is one of those names. Um, there was a scare a couple of months ago when they had a label warning put on their arthritis drug, but that's a big nothing. These stocks are, for the most part, very cheap, good growth potential with the demographics of the developed world, good dividend yields, and the price entry point is terrific with what's going on in Congress. So, Kerry, the, the one stock that I wanted to highlight with you isn't on this list, but it is perhaps more importantly on the list of best performing stocks of the year. Um, United Health, in terms of healthcare stock, new high today, $473.68 was the highest level of the day, and it's, it's green as we currently speak. Yeah. So United Health has been one of our biggest positions. That and Thermo Fisher are two largest in healthcare. Uh, we believe that they're agnostic to really what's going on with pressure about drug pricing because they provide services both across the spectrum. And United Health, Thermo Fisher don't have to worry about whether they can get a drug through the FDA, try to price it high. What we've seen with Biogen that got a drug approved, now various services don't want to pay for it. The insurances don't want to pay for it. Hospitals, doctors, it's a, it's a big pressure cooker. And buying the drug stocks and biotech stocks, even though they're way down, and some of them are incredibly cheap, the ones that have earnings. So if you look at Vertex 15 times next year, but have that headwind of drug pricing that's 150 to 200,000 a year for their drugs. And that's what the market is worried about. And innovation has been a challenge for all of them, other than the vaccine makers. It's been a really tough year. So we're right now on the sidelines from buying the drugs and the biotechs because it could be another year where they still don't, up, don't outperform. All right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and do final trades. Uh, final trades. Farmer Jim, you're up. Yeah, uh, CVS, Charlie Victor Sierra, uh, analyst meeting today. Uh, great news, buyback, dividend increase. But the biggest thing here is that the multiple is going to expand as debt gets paid down. Look for that over the next year. Raise the dividend by 10%. As you said, buybacks, they updated their guidance as well. You can see that stock is on the move uh, 4%. By the way, we just showed you a quick promo just so you hear it from me. The CEO is going to be on Power Lunch today. Karen Lynch will be there to talk about the renewed outlook with our Bertha Coombs. So we're looking forward to that. It's an exclusive interview, too. All right, Josh Brown, what do you got? Uh, Invitation Homes, new all-time high this week. Very quietly, this stock is up 48% on the year, not including dividends. A phenomenal winner. I think it's going higher. Okay. How about you, Bryn? Um, Viper Energy. It's an oil mineral rights company that had a distribution yield in the sixes this year. I think as their oil hedges roll off in 2022, that distribution yield could be around eight, eight and a half percent. High quality, smaller name. All right. And quickly, Carrie. Meta or Facebook sells under a market multiple. A lot of growth coming forward. All right. Great stuff. Enjoyed it, guys. Thanks. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach. 
to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.